When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Is It My ADHD, the podcast about what it really feels like to have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. My name is Grace Timothy and I'm a writer. I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was 37, after years of struggling with difficult traits and behaviours that I could never understand. Just like the two million women thought to be living with undiagnosed ADHD in the UK today. I want to better understand what ADHD feels like for women and non-binary people in whom ADHD is so often missed thanks to the fact that the diagnostic criteria and research is heavily skewed to the white male case study. On this podcast, I speak to some incredible people about their lived experience of ADHD, looking at how it can affect relationships, work, parenthood, socialising and self-esteem. My hope is that we can spread awareness of ADHD in women and non-binary people and that you'll find some comfort in knowing you're far from being alone. Because with the right support and understanding, we can be truly amazing. I am so happy this week to have Anna Martha, a psychotherapist and author of several books, including one of my favourites, Know Your Worth, and host of the Therapy Edit podcast. Anna is well known now for delivering calming and compassionate advice for improving one's mental health, very much in the vein of sharing her own experiences as a mother and someone who has experienced anxiety herself. Anna makes us all feel like we're in it together. She has provided hours of comfort for all of us over the years and has just recently received a diagnosis of ADHD. Hi, Anna. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me, Grace. I'm so, I feel like we've already met. I'm sure we've voice noted each other quite a few times, which is why I feel that way, but I'm excited to be here. Bit nervous. Well, so this is the first time that you've really spoken about your ADHD diagnosis, right? Yeah. First time I've spoken publicly about it. Definitely talk a lot about it in my day-to-day life (laughs) with the people around me since I've had this kind of light bulb moment that's been life-changing, I'd say. But I haven't really spoken about it openly. Obviously, you've been working in the mental health space for a long time and on various different platforms. How did you come to sort of start to think maybe ADHD was part of your personal story? Well, do you know what? I Because I have quite a sizable Instagram account, I have been messaged every now and again by people, I think very well-meaningly saying, Anna, do you think you have ADHD? And I honestly, Grace... I didn't understand. I didn't know anything about ADHD beyond the, the that kind of archetype of the little boy bouncing around the classroom. So I must say, I found it a little bit forward and offensive. And I would, you know, I just thought, who is this person? And why are they saying this about me? And I would kind of brush it under the carpet. But then we, so I have three children. My middle child has definitely got ADHD, although we're just at the very beginning of the diagnostic pathway with him. And we were sat on the sofa, my husband and I, one evening. And I I remember it so clearly. It will be forever one of those moments that is deeply ingrained in my memory. And we were sat there and we were just reading all these articles, coming to this amazing recognition that we're reading reading about our son here. And it was 
like joining the dots and it gave us this whole new insight, even just in the top line, the top level information that we were we were reading into. And my husband sat there and he turned to me and he said, Anna, this is you. And suddenly this this penny dropped for me and I started frantically Googling ADHD in women and seeing how the presentation is often very different. And it was like this light got switched on in my life. And I looked back, did a whistle stop tour of my, of my life and started connecting the dots in a way that made me so happy and excited, but also quite sad at the fact that I didn't have this realization beforehand and all of the pain and the confusion, the anxiety and the beating myself up and the why can't I do this? What's wrong with me? You know, if I'd have known, I might not have experienced a lot of that, which really took me to some really difficult and dark places over the years. But yeah, that was that was the moment that we had this this recognition. It's definitely changed my life. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think so obviously as a psychotherapist, presumably you're very self-aware as well of your own, you know, conditions and how you're feeling every day. And and I know that you've talked a lot about health anxiety, which is where I connected with you so deeply. You know, now when you sort of piece it all together do you sort of see all of those things as part of your ADHD or do you think it's sort of a comorbidity situation? I, I definitely had this period of time where I was thinking, what, what is me and what is ADHD? What would I be like if I didn't have ADHD? What, what would and wouldn't have been part of my mental health journey if I, if I didn't? And, and I think looking over my medical history, so many of the things that I've been really challenged by in the past. So on my medical history, we've got anxiety, depression, we've got eating disorders, kind of really heightened stressful periods in which I was given anti-anxiety medication, you know, all of these things, which actually are real comorbidities of ADHD. And I think having the psychotherapeutic knowledge and lens that I often view my own mind through, there is a reason for all of these things. I went through early childhood trauma and lost, lost my sister of um, cancer when I was 10. So that was a real huge part of my story, but also even more damaging at points has have been um, reactions to that loss and how people close to me have dealt with it in quite destructive ways that's impacted my life. So I could kind of pin things down, you know, I could, I could make sense of them in a way, often leading back to that trauma, but it just gave me another, another way to see things. Like a framework, isn't it? Another insight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it both work for me and actually they both can sit and stand alongside each other and that makes sense to me, more sense. I think, so if we could focus for a minute on the health anxiety, because it's something I'm sure you get a hundred million messages a day. It's definitely something that comes up a lot on my platform of, you know, where's the link? Um, and I think before I spoke anything about ADHD, I was I was talking a little bit about health anxiety and it was like opening a can to, well, not a can of worms, a can of a whole new bunch of followers who were like, oh my gosh, this is something I experienced, but we don't talk about. Obviously, I know that there's a childhood trauma for you that has triggered that. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about sort of how that worked out? Yeah, so Emily had, my sister had cancer, brain tumor when she was about two and a half. And then she so went through this whole journey of lots of scans and operation and radiotherapy. And it was very much a part of our lives as a family. She went through a period of remission for about two, two, two-ish years. And then she, it, it returned and then she died when she was nearly seven. So for me, headaches, 
I, you know, funny eye things, I get migraines often, you know, the symptoms of those can be a bit strange. So things like that would just really trigger this health anxiety and then this hyper focus. So it's like my brain's got all of this energy. My brain runs at 100 miles an hour, which is why now I know I can write a book in six weeks because I'm hyper focused. And that's on two days childcare. So loads of people ask me, how do you do all the stuff that you do on the amount of you know, work days that you have. And I'm like, it's ADHD. It's my hyper focus. If I love it, I will do it. But so when channeled well, that works incredibly well for me in my work. It works well for me with health anxiety. And I have this one little kind of hyper focus, this one little trigger. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I'm driven to research. I'm driven, you know, I know things about the most obscure illnesses, so much so that my in-laws often come to me for medical advice because I know all this stuff. I I will devour research papers and medical journals to learn more and learn more. But actually what happens is that knowledge is power. But when you totally overwhelm yourself, you give yourself even more awareness and potential to go down that road of hyper focus when it comes to health. And then it, if you if you stay there, it can make life feel very scary and risky and you know like it could just change any moment and a stomach bug might be a stomach bug but it might be sepsis and a headache might be a headache but actually it could be this kind of tumor that I've read 20 pages on in medical jargon so that hyper focus has not worked so well for me when it's come to health completely yeah I mean that resonates so much I think you're right I think it's like lots of people experience health anxiety and and with ADHD it's amped up to you know 11 isn't it it's like the intensity is is so much more intense. I, I've, I've always done research in a way to look for reassurance. So I want to know what the gestation period of a bug is so that I know that I'm clear or do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And you can, you, you will never find reassurance online, even medical journals and all that kind of thing. Cause it's facts. It's not feelings. You want someone who's going to say, don't worry. It's fine. It's going to be fine. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the ADHD really does, as you say, ramp it up. And I also, I have this way of articulating emotions. So I talk a lot about rage and I talk a lot about guilt. And I've always thought that that's just because I feel things really big and I've got a real interest in them. But actually now I recognize that I, like my son, which is one of the most challenging parts of my parenting is managing his big emotions, is that I have big emotions too which is why, because I experienced them so acutely. You know, one minute I'm on a high and I'm just almost crying with gratitude for how incredible life is. And then I'm overwhelmed and I can't see a way through and I'm stressed and I need to make big business decisions to make things more sustainable. And actually in the bigger picture of things, like slow down, Anna, it's probably going to be okay. But because I feel things really hugely, it yeah. And I've always thought, well, that's why I can articulate emotions because I experience them so, so huge. Because obviously, so regulating emotions is, is such a huge challenge, isn't it, for someone with ADHD? And obviously, you've experienced that both as a parent and as a patient, I guess you could say. Do you think that that's maybe what led you into the work that you do without obviously knowing that you had ADHD? I think quite possibly, but also it was a sense of if I help people, then that validates me as a person and it earns my right to be loved. It earns my right to, to have my place in the world. So it was very much, it was, it was also that masking thing of because there was so much trauma going on in my childhood, 
I wanted to be the good girl. I wanted to be neat. I wanted to be, I didn't want to add any more worry, which is why I think, you know, for women, girls often goes unrecognized for so long. I was just very much kind of internalized everything. So on the, on the forefront, it was like, don't worry about me. I'm fine. Everyone going, you know, you're sad. I'm not going to make you sadder. And I think that just carried on into life. And I thought being a therapist was a really good job to do because I can help people because that's what I'm good at. But also when you're looking at other people's mess, it kind of gives you a good old excuse to totally ignore your own. So that really worked for me for a while. As I say, so that's not sustainable long term. No, no, absolutely not. And there are, I've had a few crashes in life, I would say, where it's all just totally fallen apart. And I felt like I can't cope. I can't see a way forward. I've been horrendously depressed and just totally burnt out from holding up that mask. And it was like the cards have all fallen down and I've had to rebuild from that place and just done the same thing all over again. And I'm not doing that anymore. And that was motherhood got me to that place as well. Yeah. Oh God. I mean, there's no, there's nothing like it in terms of the challenges that you face emotionally, physically, all in one go out there and with love like attached to it so that you can't get away from it and distance yourself for even a second. Yeah. And the guilt and shame, I think that comes with that. And one of the ones that I speak about quite often at the moment is noise sensitivity. And over lockdown, I remember just feeling it would trigger, noise would trigger what felt like rage in me. And now I recognize as sensory overwhelm, which really just turned it on its head and allowed me to find some compassion for myself. Because when I recognized that the sensory input I was experiencing from my kids was making me angry. Like I wanted to throw stuff. I wanted to scream. And sometimes I literally roared like a lion and upset my children because I couldn't get away from it. I just wanted it to stop. And I felt so much shame and guilt at my response. I was thinking, for goodness sake, kind of some of these noises are happy. They're just playing. They're just having a nice time. It's not like they're screaming and fighting all the time. It was, it was like them playing with their toys was just, it would evoke this what I now recognize to be sensory overwhelm. And that, you know, having these insights just from a place of shame and guilt, you start being able to, to view this with compassion and what can we do about this? What might help you with this? And it totally shifts it. I can explain it to my husband differently. And, you know, these little recognitions I think of life is just a lot. And when you've got kids, it's a lot. It's noisy. It's busy. It's it's a lot. And having being able to view that through the lens of ADHD has mean that I can actually find ways to manage it rather than just guilt myself for having certain responses. 100%. And I think also to to have, it's not that it's an excuse. This is something we talk about a lot. ADHD is not an excuse for difficult behavior. So for, you know, like you say, for roaring, for me, it's definitely, um, I get quite snappy particularly with my husband, poor chap. But, you know, because I think I am on the edge of like, all of this stuff is overwhelming. And actually to anyone, anyone else, it maybe feels like a unreasonable reaction to something, you know. But it is, it is an explanation also for your own self, isn't it? And for that sense of shame that you carry when you're not behaving how you want to be. You, you know the person that you want to be. And yet for some reason, you're not able to deliver on that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it helps you having this recognition it helps you explain it to other people. And, you know, when you say about being snappy with your husband, I would have 
these confusing meltdowns like my son has when he is screaming and he is in that moment, he is in fight or flight mode. He he cannot see the wood for the trees. He cannot cannot make good decisions. He cannot see a way out of his emotion and it's too much for him. And I would have these meltdowns and it happened a fair amount in lockdown where in front of my husband, I would melt down and I'm talking, screaming, crying, curling up into a ball, feeling like I cannot exist because this just feels too much. And it was so confusing for us. It was almost like panic. It was so physical and so mental and powerful at these moments that I reverted to this child, this vulnerable child who was having this meltdown like my six-year-old son has, when, which is incredibly challenging. We're desperately trying to kind of comfort and contain him, but it's also a lot. And it was confusing for my husband and I. We were like, what the heck is going on? I, I questioned my sanity. I questioned my ability to cope with life, my ability to parent, everything in those moments, and my ability to be loved, all of that self-hatred, all of that you know, depression, it just felt like it had been swept up from my past and dumped in that moment. And it would almost come, it would often come from a moment of feeling misunderstood. So feeling overwhelmed and then feeling misunderstood by my husband. And it would trigger this meltdown. And now I understand <laughs> about my ADHD and the way that I sometimes struggle to process emotion. And, and if I don't get my walk and if I don't find ways to soften my response to sound sometimes, because it's just a lot of sensory input and I get full and I don't manage my diary and I don't manage my socializing and the things, the amount of things we have in the weekend. I will, it will add up and it will add up and it will add up and I will pop like the messiest, explosive, collateral damaging balloon. And, and now I understand. So all that shame, all that guilt, all that confusion it's not there anymore. There's compassion, there's proactivity, there's care, there's planning, there's, you know, being asked, you know, asking my husband, say, look, we need to look at this week because that's a lot for our son. It's also me too. God, yes. I, I suppose the thing is that as we amp back up from the pandemic as well, or from the lockdowns really, that we are back on that path, aren't we? Having broken it all down, which was just as difficult, I'm sure. Like I know that obviously you've experienced that kind of the sensitivity and the kind of being locked in literally as a massive challenge. I think that as we ramp back up, I'm struggling with that sense of the diary is filling. And as you say, like I need to stop sometimes and go, actually, Rich, what can we lose from here? What is going to, or what do we need to do straight after that so that we can all regulate, actually. I say we all, it is me. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're responsible and this is it. We are responsible for regulating our children a lot of the time. In our household, my husband isn't around Monday to Friday. That responsibility is mine. So whereas before I used to, you know, be grumpy about when he woke me up in the night and he'd be annoyed with me for being grumpy because he's not grumpy when I wake up. And I'm like, why am I so precious about my sleep? And now I realize my sleep helps me regulate. I've stopped drinking almost because I recognize how important sleep is. And things like, I never wanted to go to the leisure center 
to take the kids swimming. And my husband made jokes about me in in terms of like, oh, you think, you know, you don't want to go there because you, you don't like it because you don't think it's very nice compared to, you know, I go to a nice pool at David Lloyd and I can't take the kids there because they're not members. He's like, oh, you're just a bit, you know, snobby about your pools. And I can never put my finger on it. But now it's the the noise. It's the banging doors. It's the, this is wet. This isn't wet. You know, we're trying to get changed in a cubicle. There's a lot of activity. There's no personal space. And, and, and now we understand. That is why it's too much sensory input for me. It's the thought of it is making my heart race. Mm. And now we know. If he mm. wants to take the kids, he can take the kids. Sometimes I might. I often don't. Well, and it has to be a good day, right? And a good set of It has to be, yeah. yeah I can but we understand that now. I have been blown away by the response to the first two series of Is It My ADHD? And we wanted to pull together a mini series on two of the topics that you've most often requested with two incredible women. Making these bonus episodes possible is Loop, my go-to for reducing the angst, distractions and overwhelm of various noises. Loop's earplugs are specially designed to reduce sound in a variety of environments. So if you just want to take the edge off the bass and mid-tones but still enjoy a gig, for example, you'd go for the experience pair. If you're at a party and struggling to have a chat with someone, go for Engage. And if you just want to turn down the volume and relax or concentrate in a busy office, go for Quiet. That's my choice for supermarkets and the train, FYI. Reducing noise can, of course, help with focus, overwhelm, overstimulation and sleep, as well as emotional regulation. They've helped me tackle many of the situations I would previously have found very draining. And now I wouldn't be without that little pot of quiet in my pocket. So what's interesting, because I've been looking at sound sensitivity as well, and I know, and actually, I think it was you that made me think, I, I need to investigate this more because you were talking about sensitivity. I always think of sensory overload as being um, physical touch and brightness of lights and things like that, which actually is probably linked to the fact that I try to tune things out, which is very clever and very inconvenient. So I've been looking more at sound sensitivity and actually Dr. Mo friend of the show, (laughs) says there isn't actually like a link between misphonia and ADHD. However, the evidence doesn't speak to the human experience, which is so many of us have issues specifically with sound. But when you talk about a leisure centre, like that's one of my worst places in the whole wide world. A swim gala for me is like, oh no, no. no. He's gone, no. Oh my gosh. I physically reacted to that. (laughs) Right? There's so many layers of noise, isn't there? There's like the shouting, the water, the weird kind of whirring noises. The echoing. Yeah. Yeah. And that hypervigilance that I think is also linked to ADHD anecdotally and that we will have experienced with health anxiety is that you also tune into almost the sounds that are most threatening, whether that's someone saying, I don't feel well, I will hear that across a crowd. (laughs) Like, I swear, I don't want to hear it. But I will absolutely, that's what I will hear. I won't hear my husband talking to me. I'll hear someone saying, oh, I feel, and then I'm like, I have to go now. Like I have to get out. But I think to be able to regulate your response to sound, I mean, that has to be the secret, right? Absolutely. And do you know what? That honestly has changed, changed my days because my son has meltdowns, my, and then not only that, but I have a very loud little four-year-old who was having all those at that point was having all those toddler tantrums as well so I had a child that was having these kind of age appropriate developmentally straight down the line tantrums and then I had this kind of four-year-old who five-year-old six-year-old who was 
having very different emotional experiences and it was just so much and my parenting response is to think I need to comfort my child my physical reaction is I can't do this get me up here make it stop somebody help me I want to run out of the house and and I couldn't do that especially in lockdown but also I can't do that on a Thursday afternoon when it's just me and the kids I can't and and before I've literally left the screaming taken myself off to the furthest spot in the house which isn't appropriate to do sometimes especially when you're needed and just cried in the corner like almost panicking like make it stop make it stop so I remember finding out about um earplugs and I was so intrigued because I'd never thought about actually lessening how I was hearing the I wear earplugs to sleep because it helps me sleep better but never thought about wearing anything like that in the day and I so I bought some and honestly, it was like, I would, I would say again, it's, it's been a parenting game changer as well. Um, I wore them. When did I wear them to the marathon the other day? It was just so loud and that really helped me. It just softens that input. It's my brain is less on high alert. I can comfort my child without feeling like I need to run for the hills at the same time without battling that. So it's, it's, it's true. Yeah. It's truly been a game changer. I will wear them in the car on long journeys when there's all the scrabbling and, and, it, and it's, I can hear everything. I can, you know, no word goes, I can hear everything as long as I'm listening. When I'm not listening, as you say, I could, you know, who knows? Someone could be screaming my name next to me and I wouldn't, I just wouldn't react. But that's another thing. But it just softens that input that, that seems then not to trigger that stress reaction for me. And it's meant that I can be compassionate and comforting with my children when otherwise I would be stressed and probably feeding the meltdown. It's meant that I feel more comfortable going to some of those public settings that just feel a lot because it's softened. Mm. I can still react and respond. Yeah. Don't you find as well that when you take them out for whatever reason, I mean, I try not to, but when you take an earplug out, you're then aware of like just how many noises there were that were, that were fighting you. It feels like. And actually, you know, you could say going into a supermarket, okay, so there's lots of people chattering and stuff like that. But when you take your earplugs out, you realize it's like the whirring of machines, it's the the refrigeration system, there's so many different ambient noises, that it's no wonder that you walk in and immediately feel on edge. And as I say, that hypervigilance piece that I think we're both (laughs) very well versed in. it, it, It absolutely doesn't help your focus. So if you're already, you know, a little bit as a sort of deficit of attention and, and focus, that's just, you know, going to be 10 times worse. I think like when I look back on exams and things, I think, God, that could have been, that could have been a game changer. Yeah. My son every now and again, will put his little headphones on. Cause we got some ear defenders that I bought when they were babies and we took them to loud spaces and, you know, they never kept them on. They kept falling off and we didn't really use them, but he's rediscovered them. I think they're in the dressing up box. So when it's all loud, he'll put those on. Ironically, he's also the loudest member of the family. Um, he cannot mo- moderate his volume. But, you know, watching him, sometimes he needs to just close the world out a little bit and, and soften the world. And yeah, so I think sometimes when we see children doing that, they're just responding to what they need. And I never, I just didn't think it was an option. It didn't even occur to me until I think I saw an ad or something on somewhere online. And I was like, oh, 
you know, and it's like one of those ah moments of, oh, this could be good. And it was, and I'm grateful. And that's why I keep telling everyone about it. You kind of need to explain that thing though, of not being able to regulate your own volume. Like I, for years, um, Rich would say like, oh my God, you're shouting like in a restaurant or whatever. We're having like a, an intimate conversation. And I'm like, rah, rah, rah. And now obviously, again, I understand that I'm trying to overcome the other sounds. Do you know what I mean? It's like that ambient yep. sound is actually much louder to us than it is to someone else. Um, and that's why we kind of try to compensate with the ridiculous, brash, loud, kind of over the top voice. But it's again, it's another social thing which has affected me in social in certain situations where I can see someone almost recoiling because I'm being too loud. And obviously and attached to that are lots of sort of personality traits that people then project on you like, okay, so you're massively an extrovert, you're quite in your face, you're this and the other. And I'm not like that at all. But because of that volume thing, it just, it sort of does skew the way that you're viewed, I think, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I've, I've been told that as well. And I think my, the volume of my voice often reflects how happy and excited I am. I just get <laughs> yes, overexcited yeah. about things. And yeah, I remember I've got a really good friend and she's on this same self-discovery kind of ADHD path. And it, when we're together, we drive my husband mad because he's like, you're just like so excitable and we're bouncing off each other and we're having the best time. We're laughing our heads off. And I don't think I'm probably particularly good at moderating the sound of my voice. And sometimes I do go into new situations and I feel like I need to almost be, you know, louder sound wise to show, to show myself and show the people that I'm confident and I'm okay when actually that can probably be a lot of points for other people. I mean, so uh, you've talked about it in terms of masking that from a very early age, and I think obviously linked to your sister's passing as well, that, that there is this sense of like being the good girl, being neat, being quiet, being tidy, not not kind of um, causing any kind of disruption or pain in anyone else, which I completely resonates with me. Like, and obviously for us as your followers, I feel like we definitely get that sense of you as a calm, compassionate, loving person. And what I think the difference is with you is that you do explain that all of your advice comes from personal experience, which I think is is a complete difference to to sort of other therapists in, in that space. I think, and it and it's so much more helpful to bring us in as a companion to you and to to sort of take on your um, content, but obviously we don't see the meltdowns and I'm, I'm the same. Like I absolutely have really, really worked on perfecting this facade, this mask, which is very exhausting. How do you kind of reconcile that in terms of relationships with people? Like, do you get to a point where you are your true self and, and that kind of all comes out or is that something that you kind of keep just for at home? Um, there definitely are people in my life who I'm just totally myself around, you know, the quirky, silly ways and just open emotionally with kind of how I am I think lockdown because I was basically around my husband and a lot around Ella she's basically so it's a funny relationship to explain but she's basically like a younger sister adopted into our family so I'm around her a lot we often co-work together and she we just have so many similarities in our character I am just 100% myself around Taryn and her and some other friends but I've definitely realized that the people I often feel most myself around are also neurodivergent and that's been really, really interesting as well. So then I think because I spent a lot of time around these two people, completely myself and a few other friends, um, then I find it quite challenging sometimes to spend time with other people. And I feel like, oh, I can't just totally be myself because they will think I am a bit ridiculous. Like my sense of humor is a bit ridiculous. I can be a bit childish, and a bit silly. And so then I feel really yeah, like I'm filtering myself. And 
And I think because I've had a good amount of time now, just feeling so free and me, that difference feels a lot more obvious to me. Whereas I think I just moderated my, I just tried so hard and it felt exhausting a lot of the time. And I've kind of got used to just being myself. So it feels more marked when I'm not. That's really, I mean, it's so profound, isn't it? To realize that, you know, there are certain spaces where they're just not built for you yet, which is like, and also when you're raising children, I guess that um, are neurodiverse or have like different sort of presentations of ADHD or autism or whatever. That's, you know, it's heartbreaking to think that that's part of human existence for us. Yeah, absolutely. In the social settings that I walk into and I think I am always thinking how are people responding? What are they doing? And trying to kind of almost mirror, which which is bit, again, kind of look at the neurodivergent kind of qualities and symptoms. It's It's in ways of presenting it's just taken me on such a a journey of intrigue really of how I tick and I've often just felt like I have to put a lot of effort in to be normal and to be kind of atypical and it's actually really quite freeing now to recognize that I'm just wired differently and and that serves me in so many ways and it brings different challenges and but I want to be more myself and that's gonna yeah it's just gonna mean that maybe some relationships that I tried really hard in I just naturally pull back a little bit from is that the the case sort of in your professional life obviously you work for yourself is that something that you've experienced in that as well I think my work really really suits my brain and it's something that I've kind of built up over the years it wasn't ever really I set out to do this it's just something I've kind of added on to I have to make sure that the people that work around me know how I'm wired because I can suddenly I can you know four o'clock on a Friday afternoon I've suddenly had an idea I'm like, I need to do this right now. I've got this idea. It's going to be amazing. We need to do this and that. And, you know, it's a lot for someone that's receiving all these, you know, have to make sure that sometimes they just take a breather, write it down, sit on it for a while. Otherwise, I've had teams of people putting into action something that actually I don't have capacity for. Oh, Like yeah. it's a great idea if I had another week or I had a bigger team of people. But I start things and then I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I... I actually haven't got the capacity to carry this to carry this through. So making sure that I have a lovely team of people around me who can rein me in sometimes and that I'm learning to rein myself in. And my mum will always say, you could do many things, Anna, but you also can't. You're also one person. So yeah, it's been a real learning curve when it comes to work. I sometimes think that like, actually, we should be the ideas people. Yes. And then... Maybe a lot of them are executed by other people. <laughs> the fire yeah. starters. I'm a fire starter and I've said this for years. I will start something, but I need people to help me finish it. A hundred percent. Or, you know, I'll have an idea and I could, I'll start it off, but I need people to hold me accountable to that. I need people to help me put that into place so that it turns it into something sustainable. Or I'll just suddenly my mind will go on to the next thing. I had this book idea and I was literally saying to my agent, I'm going to start writing. I'm going to start writing. I need to, and he was like, we haven't even got a book deal for that, Anna. Like, just slow down. You've got other things on. I'm like, I know, but I need to get on it. Otherwise I might forget about it. And then it might, I might be on something else. And, you know, a week later, have I done any? No, because I've got loads of other stuff going on. So it takes a lot of self-management and having good people around you who get your heart and your passion, but also get, that you know we all have limited capacity and not everything can and has to be done immediately 
Well, and also I think like, like you say, if it's, and I think this is partly doing being a parent as well and having to juggle those responsibilities and that schedule, but like on a, like make it slightly later, if it's a Friday night at six o'clock that you have that idea, understanding that other people won't have capacity for that and shouldn't have, you know, we shouldn't be kind of interacting at that point over work things, but equally having that sense of like, to get it out now and I also have to sense check it like and I think we feed off other people's energy and positive responses to things so it's like it's learning that skill as well which is so basic but so key to those interpersonal relationships that you not like you're treating people like you think they're on call all the time or I mean there's a lot is it the same with not having a positive response to something so if someone has sort of criticized something to the point of you not wanting to do it anymore do you also come around from that quite quickly or does that hard is that harder to let go of so my husband is often he calls it devil's advocate he likes being devil's oh, advocate I and i bear that, yeah. hate it yeah i hate it i have this <laughs> idea and he's like have you thought about and I'm like, no, no, I haven't. Now what? You don't like it. Why are you not supporting me? And it, and it turns into this kind of argument. And he's like, and I'm, I'm literally just trying to encourage you to think about some of the complexities of this so that you can think about whether it is actually something you want to or you can do. And I really get that. And I definitely need that. But in that moment, I feel like he's reigned all over my parade, has no support or care or understanding for anything that I do in work. And really, he's just trying to ground me which I absolutely need so I do find that quite hard I think it depends how wedded I am to that idea as to how quickly I <laughs> I come around from it and how tightly I hold on to it or he's normally right well no yeah sure uh, so I have exactly the same thing with rich and family members and stuff like that and I think I I mean I'm always like why would you advocate for the devil but okay cool yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bitter but I think on the other hand like I I feel like I hold on to those things a little bit longer. So the the great idea that you think, oh, actually, like, yeah, I haven't got capacity or I haven't got time or I have simply forgotten about it versus the idea that you thought had legs and then you received a little bit of criticism or challenge to it. And then it's like either I have to prove this or why am I so stupid for coming up with such a ridiculous thing? And, you know, how am I ever going to do anything right ever again kind of thing? I'm really interested in how and when we hold on to the negative more than the positive and why it seems to be so catastrophic. Mm, I think my journey with that has been that I yeah it used to impact me so deeply it would start forming part of how I viewed myself and feeding into that internal narrative whereas I don't know I think these days I just have so much more confidence in things not working out like I recently started this thing called the mum ribbon movement and it was an idea and I put it out there and I was very prepared so it involved people putting ribbons on their bags to say hey you can come and approach me I'll, I won't bite your head off basically and I knew full well when I put it out there that it would either like go well or it would flop and I would be the girl that tried to start something and there was tumbleweed. And I thought, you know what? My brain can quite easily move on and focus so quickly on the next thing that if this doesn't work, then fine. I, yeah, I've kind of built up confidence, I think, over the years in my own self-worth. And I know that the people who know me most and see me at my most authentic love and accept me. And I really hold on to that. So when people don't like what I, what I do or they don't get it or I face criticism, I kind of think, okay, yeah, they might be coming, you know, might be right. But ultimately I'm lovable and I'm acceptable in my purest form. And that's really what I'm getting, having so much more confidence in holding on to that. That's been a real journey. Like, yeah, and it's wavering still. So I'm not there and probably will never be there. 
it's not a complete journey though is it i think that's the thing it's not uh, there's no destination i feel like i yeah i'm i felt the same i feel confident in so many ways about so many of my strengths however a couple of weeks of sort of slight bashing and i'm down like i am i can't remember what that felt like to be confident and strong and you know strident in something oh, yeah. because i just feel like i'm the worst and not even I'm the worst, but that you mentioned it earlier, but being misunderstood. So not being able to maybe articulate something that you know is a good idea or reason why you've done something in the way that you've done it, I find incredibly difficult to do it at certain times. And then I think if if then you can't get across or you have limited time as well, like in the corporate world, obviously time is is money and you have such so much less of it to kind of um, rationalize yourself or whatever. And we need, I think, as people with ADHD, plenty of time to explain, to feel like we've been heard properly, for that person to connect with what we're saying. And even if they don't agree to, you know that they fully understand what you're saying. Oh, it's so, that for me, it's like the hardest bit. And I I wish, firstly, I wish I could care less, wish I could worry less, um, but also w- just wish that I had that skill of being like, eh, you know, Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I relate to a lot of that, but specifically if that criticism or sense of being misunderstood comes from those core people who I feel most accepted by that is the most painful feeling for me. I feel like if, if I'm not understood, then who, who in the world is going to understand me? And I can feel very isolated and alone. And that's when, you know, those can easily kind of, if I'm overwhelmed and burnt out, can trigger those moments of utter despair. And hormones can take me there as well. You know, hormones take me to that place of, I can't do this. Everything's too much. And this is why I find tracking my periods really, really useful because I can think, but actually it's that two, those two, three days seem to come around very quickly where I feel this way and just being able to understand it and make sense of it in that sense reminds me that this isn't how I'm going to be feeling forever and ever amen and it will pass so I find it those kind of insights really really useful I'm still surprised every time (laughs) (laughs) I'm grateful for apps and reminders it pops up and it tells me I'm like oh that's why because I start questioning my personality and my ability and uh, you know my lovability and everything. It, it all comes back, doesn't it, to that that sense of at some point we've been rejected and that has become more powerful in some way than the love we've received and the balance is off. I, I think it's really interesting about that despair sense when you're with people that are, you know, are in love with you and, and do cherish every moment with you and still have to question something. I totally get that. But I almost feel... I feel like more challenged by someone I don't know well enough. And I think that that becomes part of that oversharing, over-familiar behavior, because I feel like, especially if I'm going to work with someone, I need them to instantly understand every fiber of my being so that they don't misunderstand something I say, or they don't think she's, I don't know, either brash or she's underconfident or any of those things. I want them to understand that everything comes from a good place. Therefore, I must tell them that I am menstruating or... (laughs) you know, I must tell them about school or whatever. And and it's not always the right thing to do. It's it's really hard. Yeah, I loved your episode on kind of the on the oversharing and just desperately wanting connection with people. And it's, you know, here I am, this is me. You know, now now you go. And then often people are like, no, I don't actually want to share that about myself. But I think one one of the biggest learnings for me, and I'm forever grateful that this is born from my biggest challenge, one of my biggest challenges in life, is my son's meltdowns often have happened publicly. And I 
previously have felt, you know, that's been excruciating for me, thinking what are people thinking, what are people judging about my parenting? What does this mean about me and the world and him? And, and I could just feel this judgment coming towards me because let's face it, there probably was judgment. It wasn't, you know, the, this is kind of very avert spectacles going on in supermarkets and people might be thinking she needs to give him a good night talking to and I'm trying to parent in a way that I want to and it's all conflicting and it's all going on. And actually now over the years, I've come to a place where I just look around and I see those judgmental looks and I see all the people and I think, you know what? You've literally got no idea, mate. You're not me. You're not him. You don't know him. You don't know me. You don't know what happened this morning. You don't know how I've, this parenting style is actually what I feel is best, even though it might make no sense to you. And, and I've, it's, there's a real freedom, I think, in getting to that place of, just recognizing people are seeing a single sentence of a story, a whole book that they have not read. So therefore, that opinion is just an opinion. It means nothing. Sometimes it's still painful, don't get me wrong. I don't walk around feeling impenetrable by other people's opinions, but I definitely feel like mothering my son has really, really helped me in a way that I would not have got to this place had I not, you know, go through that regularly. That's so special. And I think also so common, I get so many messages from people who have reached diagnosis through their child's pathway. Mm. I, I just think that's an, it's an amazing thing that you've been able to help yourself through helping him. Like, and what a bond you'll have. Yeah, I get, I get him. I get him. I had a moment the other day and it was all kicking off in the car and it was really hard for my husband to drive with all the kicking and screaming. So we pulled over into a pub car park and it was a Sunday lunchtime. And I pulled him out of the car and I sat on the gravel floor of this pub car park and I was holding him and rocking him and he was thrashing and screaming and people were walking from their cars into the pub and they were looking, you know, I was just on this floor in the corner and I was, everyone was looking at us because how could they not? And I, and I had, there was so much freedom in that of they're looking at me, we're a lot, but this is what my child needs and I'm here and I'm doing what I feel is right. And it, it really didn't bother me. It just, it just didn't. And that would have, you know, I'm not sure my husband is entirely there yet with it, but yeah, it's, it's a freedom that comes with that, that I'm grateful for. God. Yeah. I feel, I mean, freedom. Isn't that what we all want? I feel like there are so many binds that come with ADHD to so many different, I wish I was this, I wish I was that, I wish I didn't do that. That freedom is, yeah, that's the holy grail, isn't it? Anna, since you were diagnosed and obviously so active in the mental health space, what's your sort of onward picture, do you think, in terms of ADHD and and how you're going to grow and learn with it? I don't know. I'm not, it's not something I'm keeping a secret. When people ask me, or I might kind of drop it in every now and again, I think my worry is if with the platform that I have, if I start talking about something a lot, then people will come to me for advice. And I feel like, you know, I don't feel best place to give it. Um, I don't have any training to be able to kind of coach people through that specifically. I'll drop it in. I'll be honest, it's part of who I am. And I'm very grateful to have that insight, but I'm not going to position myself or like not wanting to position myself as an expert or anyone that has a lot of knowledge. So yeah, I think it gives me a lot of privilege in the sense that because I feel emotions so acutely, I feel like it enables me to articulate them and empathize and kind of get my teeth into them a little bit more. And that definitely informs my work. But just honesty and openness. Yeah, it's a part of what I am and who I am. I'm so grateful to you for sharing so candidly. And also, this is such a weird thing, isn't it? But whenever I see someone 
that I love in the space of of Instagram and, and so on diagnosed. I get a feeling of like, obviously desperately want to connect. But with you, I felt like this is going to change the game for me because it reframes everything that you've done to date for me as knowing like this has come from someone who has a very similar brain to me and she can do it and I can do it if she can do it. Like we are so totally in this together. So while I don't wish a diagnosis of any kind on any person with you, I felt like, oh, we've got like an excellent person in the community. I'm so pleased to have you here. Oh, Grace, thank you. Your podcast has honestly been just an incredibly powerful resource for me. I have devoured every single episode and will sometimes go and refresh your podcast to see if you put any more out. And it has, you know, the the stories and the wisdom that have been shared within it have, have really shaped the way that I have grown insight and compassion for myself in a whole new way that will affect the way that I parent in a good way and the way that I see the world and other people so I am incredibly grateful for you it's a mutual loving (laughs) thank you so much thank you so much for joining me and this amazing community of people we would absolutely love it if you could follow is it my ADHD wherever you get your podcasts from And now I'd love to hear from you. What else would you like to see explored in future episodes? Follow me on Instagram at isitmyadhd and at gracetimothywriter to continue the conversation. 